Is anyone among you sick? asks James. And then he gives careful instructions about what that person should do. I have this little bottle of oil that I keep here at the church. And it's not a special bottle. It's not special oil. Except it's put to special use because through all of the years that I've been a pastor, that's the bottle that has been mine. And um, the oil has been refilled a little bit. Uh, And I I remember very precious holy times when we as elders have prayed for people for healing and anointed them with oil. And so that's um, the purpose that I have for this little bottle and its oil. And it um, brings us back to this passage in James uh, where he, and, and this is really the only time in the whole Bible that we get very explicit instructions about how to pray for people who are sick and what we expect when we pray for them. So let me take you to that passage, and then today we will just remind ourselves of what we are invited to do, and also put the invitation out to all of us that we can respond to this. James says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will restore the sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now James expands on that a little bit, and he gives an example, and the example is what actually has shaped my understanding of what he means for us to do. So we're told immediately after the verse that I read, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Why does James bring up Elijah, and how does that explain what the passage means? I'd like to talk to you about the um, sort of the the common dilemma that we have in confusing um, sickness and sin, or uh, confusing the cause of sickness with sin. The disciples one day were talking to Jesus, and they referring to uh, a, a man that Jesus subsequently touched and healed. Je- they said, "Who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him?" Or was it his parents? So they were um, basically deferring to the common belief in Jewish thought that sickness is a result of sin. And so they wanted to know whose sin it was resulted in this man's man's blindness. And Jesus said, no, it, it was one of those things where they said, is it this or that? And he said, no, neither. It's so that the work of God can be demonstrated in him, so that God can be glorified by what I'm going to do. So where does this idea come from, and how much currency does it have in our thinking? Uh, the, we would maybe call this the um, Job formula, because Job's friends, um, along with the disciples, um, were pretty sure that they knew 
that the way things work is this. Um, you sin, God punishes you, you repent, and God restores you. So when Job was going through the terrible sufferings of his life, including physical affliction, um, time and time again, his friends came to him and said, Job, why don't you confess what you've done and God will forgive you and maybe he'll restore you. And every time Job would answer them in a similar fashion and say, I have not sinned. I did not do anything um, that would that would warrant this judgment upon me in, in my body. And they would come back again and say, okay, seriously, seriously, you need to repent. And Job would say, seriously. He finally dismissed his friends and said, you're not good friends at all. Um, miserable comforters, he calls them so. He calls them. And even though we don't really understand all of the ways that God is at work in the Job story, we do know that at the end of it all, God vindicates Job, and he basically um, dismisses the friends and says that they were wrong, um, and he talked about the righteousness that Job had um, maintained. But there's the common thought that if you're sick, um, probably is because of some sin in your life. And we as human beings are so confused often in our own heads and hearts that it's, it's all too easy to go to that kind of logic. I, I once had a lady in a cancer clinic and she said to me, I finally know why God gave me cancer. And when someone says that, first of all, that phraseology, God gave me cancer, I want to be very careful in hearing what she's going to say and in how I'll respond to it. And she told me that way earlier in her life, she had done something um, that would have been offensive to another person, was injurious to another person. I can't remember exactly what it was she thought she had done. But she said, as I have searched my heart and my life, I think that's why God gave me cancer. It's a punishment for what I did. And I've heard that same logic, maybe not with explicit detail, but many times from folks who will say, I need to know why I'm sick. I need to know what the reason is for my being sick. And of all of the possibilities, one of them that seems to make sense to me is that I've done something wrong invariably what I want to say to the person is, please, please, please um, cut the connection between what you have done and the sickness that you're enduring. It is altogether too problematic to say that every time we are sick, it's because of sin in our lives. Is it ever because of sin? Well, the New Testament does kind of expose that idea that um, in some times, God will use a sickness as a discipline. He will use sickness to correct us. And in what James is saying to the people here that he's writing to, is that if that is the case, then the person's sins will be forgiven. So not only would there be the answer to the prayer for healing, 
But there comes in the package, according to James, um, God's forgiveness granted to the person. I always bring a person to a point in, in this kind of a scenario and say, look, if you ask God if you've done something and that he's punishing you or using sickness to get your attention, um, if you ask God and sincerely want to know, he'll answer you. If God is silent and you know your heart is is straightforward, if God is silent, the answer that God is saying to you is there's nothing in your life at all that has to do with the sickness that you're enduring. Just don't make the two you know, in any way related to each other. So what is it that James is telling us to do? And if we can carefully make the distinction between sinfulness and sickness, um, we will be miles ahead in really understanding what God has for us. Let me go back, though, to one curious verse in Romans as we try to dismantle this a little bit more. So hold on to your hats. I'm about to say some things that I think may sound as though I am you know, doubling back on what I've just said to you. Romans 14 verse 23 says this, whatever is not from faith is sin. Situation in Romans is that Paul is condemning them for condemning one another. He's saying you have these arguments and you judge people based on what they eat or drink. And he says, here's what really matters in all of this. What matters is that the person is either functioning in a faithful way or a sinful way. So Paul's conclusion is that whatever is not from faith is sin. So he says, if you can't eat or drink, and he you know, has exposed some of the, the reasons that eating or drinking meat that had been offered to idols, that sort of thing, um, if you can't do it in good conscience, it's sinful. So you need to know that you are operating as a person of faith in what you're doing or not doing because to approach it in any other way is, an, is a sinful approach. So what I want to do in that is in, in one way to, to demote sin. So sin... Um, we, I think, normally would think of all of the blatant things that we think or do. Um, and there is, I think, in Paul's mind, a differentiation between sinful things we do and the actual orientation of life that is more sinfully oriented than faithfully oriented. So he's saying it's not the, the meat or the drink that is the problem here. It's the orientation of your life. So if the orientation of your life is faithful and your eating or drinking meat that has been offered to idols can be accommodated within that faithful living, don't be condemned. But if your life orientation is a more sinful orientation, generally speaking, maybe eating or drinking 
um, in the conditions you understand would be a sinful thing for you to do. Not, not the activity itself, but the orientation of life. So if, if we come all the way back now to the question of um, sin being the cause of sickness, in many ways we would do well to start there and ask, well, in, in what sense might there be sin involved in the result of sickness? So there could be a direct link that God is using your sickness to correct you, to discipline you, or we might honestly understand that we live in a fallen world and we live in sinful ways. Not that everything we do is sinful, not that everything we think is sinful at all, but that the orientation of our lives can sometimes be in the wrong direction. And when we hear what James says, it probably would, would serve us well to think in any matter of sickness that there is a general sinful reason behind sickness. The reason any of us is sick is that we all have sinned. So I'll say that again. The reason any of us is sick is that we all have sinned. There's not a direct causal relationship that says if you are sick, you sinned. But if you are sick, it's as true to say that that's because I have sinned as it is, and more true to say that than to say it's because you have sinned. So James says, in this whole matter of sin and sickness, we need to pray, um, and we need to to bring into the bundle of our theology the matter of the sin orientation of life that can let sickness get a hold of us in inappropriate ways. So maybe we live a lifestyle um, that is a sinful lifestyle. The orientation is more sinful than faithful. And there may be some results of that that are um, you know, paid out on our body. Um, if we do certain things, there are results of those things in our bodies. And those things, had we avoided them, um, might have uh, not issued into a sinful result. So I'm being a little obtuse about that, but I'm sure that you understand what I mean. If we go further into this little um, dialogue that James has with us, um, without ascribing to the Job formula, we may need to go to the Elijah formula. And this gets into the idea of what it is that we do and what it is that we expect when we pray for healing for people, in particular when we anoint people with oil. In the Elijah formula, we might see it working out like this. You're sick. The elders ask, um, if you've sinned, God forgives. So when we have the opportunity to be under the sort of the guardianship of elders in a, in a faith community, then when we are sick, we have the opportunity to invite the elders to pray for us, to anoint us with oil, and then to pray for us. And to complete the, the formula, if we have sinned, God forgives, 
And if the elders have a word from God, you're healed. Now that's going to take a little bit of unpacking. Why is it that James seems to make this blank promise um, that if you call the elders and they anoint you with oil, if you do that, um, you will be healed and you will be forgiven? James goes back to, to Elijah and says, uh, here's an example of a, a prayer of faith. Here's an example of the kind of praying that the elders should pray. He reminds us of the time that Elijah prayed for something very specifically. He reminds us of Elijah asking God to stop the rain. And the rain stopped. Elijah predicted how long it would not rain for. And then he asked God for the rain to fall again. And his prayer was answered. And James says, you know, Elijah was a person just like us. And he could pray this kind of prayer. And in fact, the fervent prayer of a righteous man is very effective. So you sort of see the elders um, pricking up their ears and saying, wow, what, what is he imposing upon us? It sounds as though James is saying, if you elders were like Elijah, every time you pray for someone to be healed, they would be healed. When I examine the story of Elijah, the thing that is is really the the nub of the matter is this: um, Israel had sinned; they had um, they had become adulterous in the language of the Old Testament um, by chasing after foreign gods. They had been carefully instructed that they were not to intermarry with the other nations; they were not to worship their gods. They were not to follow their ways. They were to stay true to Jehovah. And God said, if you disobey me, if you break the covenant, I will withhold the rain. So your crops will not grow. Um, your wives will not be fertile. I will judge you for your rebellion against me. And I will stop the rain. That's exactly what Israel did. They abandoned their relationship with God in favor of chasing after the um, Canaanite gods. And so Elijah said, therefore, I'm going to pray that it will not rain and it will only rain again on my word. Elijah was able to make that kind of claim, to pray that kind of prayer on the basis of what we would call previous revelation. So God had declared something. He said that if his people went after other gods, he would judge them, and in part he would withhold the rain. So Elijah said, you have made a promise in the terms of our covenant relationship, and I'm simply asking you now, God, to keep that promise. And God hears Elijah's prayer, and he answers Elijah's prayer. And the result is what you find in the stories of the Old Testament and God's people sometimes coming back, sometimes not coming back, and so on. Why does James use Elijah as an example? I think it is that previous revelation that James is, is on to. Elijah was able to pray for a deliberate answer that he asked for because God had already told him what he would do.
When we pray for people who are sick, as elders, we have the responsibility to ask God for a word ahead of time, if you like. We can ask God to give us a sense in our spirits of his intention either to heal or not heal somebody. We know very clearly that it is not always God's intention to heal everyone. Um, Just the math would show that to us. We are promised in the Bible that we will have six score in ten days maybe. Um, Sometimes we live longer than that. Sometimes we live shorter spans than that. But sickness prevails. Sickness is in our world, in our lives, because we are in a fallen state. And God does not interrupt that often. Um, If God were to heal all of the sicknesses, it would have to be part of God fixing everything right away. And God has determined that the way he will fix everything is by what has happened through the death of Christ on the cross, And the result of all of that will be in the future for us. So we don't expect everyone to be healed. Who do we expect God to heal? In James's understanding, it will be those people that the Lord has given a word to, those elders that God has given a word to, that would say, in essence to them, if you pray for this person for healing, I will heal him. I will heal her. I can tell you of some people that we have been given that kind of a word for, and they have been healed. A lovely lady saw me a few years ago after not seeing me for decades. And we, as I remember, we had prayed for her as elders, and the Lord had given us an assurance in our hearts that she was to be healed. And um, all these years later, she said, here I am, Pastor Ian, she said, you, you can see I'm, I'm well, I'm healed. She had been diagnosed with you know, late-stage cancer, and she was healed of it, and her healing had remained now for decades of her life. There are other times when we pray for folks, and we do offer the prayer by the elders for anyone that would like to be prayed for. We need to be honest and ask the person, um, you know, is there anything in your life that you need to sort out? Because this is always a good time to do that. But then also in our honesty, we need to say whether or not we have a sense from the Lord about his intent to heal the person. I've told you, I think, a few times about my good friend and colleague, Fred, who did not have a prompting from the Lord um, for his asking the elders to pray for him. And um, only later on in, in his sickness, he, he did have that prompting. And when we prayed, we, we discerned along with Fred um, that this was, in, in a sense, an unusual intervention that God seemed intending to make. But when we prayed for Fred, it was at a point where his doctors had said that his, um, his chemotherapy was not working and there was another one they'd like to try. And Fred asked them what that would do for him. They said it would give you this length of time, not very long, but it would buy you just a little bit more time. And Fred had the word along with the elders that we should pray and ask God for healing instead of the chemotherapy. 
from the moment that we anointed Fred with oil, he was symptom-free. So the symptoms had been um, dramatic up until that point, and they were dramatically absent. They stayed absent for the precise length of time that the doctors had indicated they would give to him by taking this other chemotherapy. Fred's discernment was that the Lord was saying to him, if I wanted to heal you, I could, but I have a different purpose. Fred was a godly man and a great pastor, and he told us that he believed that the Lord was wanting to use him um, not as an example of healing, but as an example of dying. He wanted to show God's people how to die well, and Fred did die well. I've told the story in, in more detail. It was a delightful experience in many ways, a very holy experience. And it, it, was in, it was consistent with what James was saying, that there are times that God does and times that God doesn't heal. And the, the confidence that we could have in praying for healing is often um, when God has given us a word of assurance, one or more uh, of the elders that would be praying. We will still pray for folks, but be honest enough to say, it is good for us to pray, and maybe God will heal you. But God has not disclosed to us that he has in his purpose the healing of your body for the moment. The stories are many about how God works in people's lives in the middle of sickness and even at the point of death. And the release from this mortal body um, is sometimes a wonderful, holy experience um, as a person kind of gets a, uh, an early dismissal opportunity. And we realize that because we live not as though this life is all there is. We live understanding that after this life is a grand life a life forever in which we believe and hope and trust. And so James says, if you're sick, there's something you should do. James is using an an epistle form. And in a typical letter that would have been written in those days, there would have been a health wish. The health wish would have said, as the person closed the letter, may you be in good health. Maybe as we've looked before at the oath formula, they may have said, You know, as God or the gods are my witness, I wish you to be in good health. And James says, we're not giving you just kind of an empty wish for for health, but we're giving you an answer to the question, what do I do when I'm sick? Well, you pray. And as we've discussed this morning, um, what God might do in response to that prayer can be to his glory and to our great growth. Um, and sometimes it is with healing um, in its wake. Sometimes it is in um, a more stable way of trusting in God and hoping in God and believing in the resurrection of the dead. Amen.